Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. How about in uh, cultures? Hope you really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you today? I'm doing pretty great. Had a, bliss, <laughs> had a great weekend this weekend. Well, fantastic. Glad to hear it. Thank You're you. in Tennessee, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, my best friend lives right outside of Chattanooga. Oh, it's nice. It's nice down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I ride my motorcycle with her sometimes down there or up there. Yeah. Traffic, though. It's crazy. <laughs> You're right about that. All right. So what are we talking about today? Uh, so, so talk about, about you first. Uh, who are you? Okay. My name is Christy Sumner, and I'm the founder of Soul Sisters Paranormal. And uh, what we are is a group of female paranormal investigators. There's five of us, and we go around the country and uh, look for evidence of the paranormal. So we go to paranormal hotspots um, that are reportedly paranormal hotspots, and we look at the history of those um, of those paranormal claims, and then we'll do an investigation to see if we can validate them. Nice. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um. What um, I did some digging on you. Over the weekend. <laughs> okay, great. So, uh, I heard you have a master's in criminal justice. What inspired you to pursue that? Uh, essentially, um, my family has has always had a history in criminal justice. My grandpa was the chief of police in West Virginia. Uh, my brother is in law enforcement as a sheriff's deputy. And uh, it was just the degree that both my sister and I pursued. And um, just because we ca- we were always fascinated with the aspect of the criminal mind, um, as well as investigation techniques. So we pursued that. And um, we both received that degree from the University of Central Florida. And that department was so um, gracious that they offered to allow us to do our PhD work there as well. So we both have a PhD in public affairs with an emphasis on criminal justice. Yeah. Uh, also, your dissertation, your PhD dissertation, mm-hmm. and it was uh, about biometrics and airports, right? Absolutely. Well, you have done your research, Tanner. Good job. Yes. So uh, my after and that I was inspired, I guess you could say, by 9-11 and the events that happened there. So um, I was we're still in the beginning stages of our Ph.D. program at that point. And uh, after the events of 9-11, I decided to go into aviation security and really do some research into access control specifically for employees and then um, move into uh, access control for passengers as well, such as the registered traveler program and such. Mm-hmm. So yeah, biometric technology is, is what I pursued. Yeah. Uh, I wrote about biometrics and I was in college. There's a lot of applications for it, for like banking security and all that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the 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 uh, extent of it is, is is limitless because, you know, somebody can steal your credit cards or, you know, your ID cards, but they really can't steal your fingerprints and your iris images or your facial um, characteristics or anything like that. So um, what uh, gave you interest in the paranormal? Well, my sisters and I, you know, everybody says we've always had an interest in it. And for us, that was true. So we would grow up and we would watch paranormal shows such as Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and such, you know, the the typical ones. And we would say to ourselves, you know, why didn't they ask this follow up question or why didn't they set up their camera angle this way or why didn't they spend more time in this location? So we had the opportunity in 2014 to visit West Virginia State Penitentiary and we did an overnight investigation there. And uh, through that investigation, we really became hooked, not only for the historical aspect of the location, but also for that paranormal experience that we had, such as, you know, footsteps running down the hall at us when there is clearly nobody there, um, doors slamming in our faces, uh, hearing whispers when there was nobody else there. And because we are an all-female team, when we hear male voices or children's voices, we can really rule out that it wasn't one of us. And that's what we were experiencing at West Virginia. So after that investigation, we really wanted to formalize the team, and uh, we've been doing investigations under Soul Sisters Paranormal ever since. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, would you mind explaining for listeners phantology, uh, crime mapping, and crime analysis? All right. So what that is, is you essentially look at data points in a location. So let's say Orlando, because that's an area that I know. Let's look at Orlando on a map and you pinpoint where criminal activity has occurred using uh, uh, address, specific address locations. And you map mm-hmm. out what is called hotspots. So, for example, if you have an intersection where you had a, a lot of drug activity or prostitution, for example, um, and, and that's a very prevalent area, you know that you can probably dispatch um, uh, law enforcement to either do undercover work or some type of preventative measure at that location. Um, one of the research programs that we did was actually looked at uh, drug use and uh, prostitution in a very specific area in Orange County. And uh, we basic things like street lights that have been shot out, getting those replaced, you know, adding different things into the element and the environment to uh, dis- dissuade criminals from congregating in that location. So basically what crime mapping does is it shows you specific locations where crime occurs and then you have to go interpret why that crime is there and preventative measures that you can take to um, to get rid of it. Yeah. Um. Has your background in criminal justice, uh, how does it affect your paranormal investigations? That's a great question. So what we do is when we go to a location, we're very methodical about what we do. First, the research behind it. So we always do um, a very intensive research uh, study of the location before we even go. And then when we get there, we always take a day tour of the location. And we do that primarily to scope out where we're going to put our equipment and look at different things that environmental things that could affect our investigation that night. So, for example, street lights or car noise or neighbor neighbors, you know, if there's close neighbors or close houses in the proximity, you know, that could affect the noise pollution. So we do a very intensive um, look around during the the day tour. And then we use that information. And, and we think that it's come, kind of coming from our criminal background. 
um, uh, knowledge. So we use that information to really set up our equipment the night of the investigation. And then after the investigation, we're very methodical about going through all of our audio and video footage um, to look for anything that we can't explain and therefore validate those claims of paranormal activity. Very, it's very methodical. I have, I, <laughs> I have a bachelor's in forensics, so I'm, I'm gonna get all that. Oh, fantastic! Good yep. for you. Um, so let's get into uh, these cryptids. Sure. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, ten pages. Let me load. I want to refresh the page for it and open. Okay. <laughs> so how did you get into this? Um, I always like monster stories and like folklore in general, ever since mm -hmm. I was little. Okay. And always liked, you know, scary camp stories, you know? Okay. So what's your favorite one? Uh, it's always, oh, Bigfoot's everywhere. Seems like mm -hmm. it. <laughs> yes, that's true. And I want to get to more into like getting back into Europe and all those dramatic folklore that's there, and especially in Asia when they have mm -hmm. all that mythology there too. So I can't mm -hmm. wait for getting into that. Oh, absolutely! How long have you been doing your podcast? Since October. Well, congratulations! Thank you. When did you start Solstices Paranormal? We started our, our first investigation was 2014, um, and then the beginning of 2015 is when we actually named the group and really formalized it. You know, built our website, uh, started our social media presence, um, and then really uh, taking it to the next level with regard to our videos. That's great videos, by the way. I, well, thank you. I enjoy, I enjoy watching them. Well, thank you. I appreciate you watching them, taking the time to do that. All right, got the first up in Maryland is the Snallygaster. Mm -hmm. It's a mythical dragon-like beast said to inhabit the hills surrounding Washington and Frederick Counties, Maryland. The area was settled by German immigrants beginning in the 1730s. Early accounts describe the community being terrorized by a monster called a uh, Snallygast. Okay, uh, <laughs> being a quick spirit in German. The earliest incarnations mixed the half-bird features of a siren with the nightmarish features of demons and ghouls. The mm -hmm. Stenogaster was described as half-reptile, half-bird with a metallic beak lined with razor-sharp teeth. This is weird. <laughs> first, I'm reading this first time. Occasionally um, <laughs> uh, with octopus-like tentacles. Okay, That is really weird. Mm -hmm. okay. It's like a, bird, a little crazy. A lizard bird with a metal beak and... Tentacles, where <laughs> God's yeah. weird. Yeah, I wouldn't want it coming after me. Me neither. It swooped silently from the sky to pick up and carry off its victims. Jeez. Uh, earliest stories claimed that the monster sucked the blood of its victims. Seven point stars, which rapidly kept the Snellgaster at bay, can still be seen painted on local barns. It has uh, been suggested that the legend was resurrected in the 19th century to frighten freed slaves. Newspaper accounts throughout February and March 1909 described encounters between local residents and a beast with enormous wing 
and long pointed bill, claws like steel hooks, and an eye in the center of its forehead. He was described as making screeches like a locomotive whistle. A uh, great deal of publicity surrounding the string appearances with the Smithsonian Institute offer a roaring award for the hide. U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt reportedly considered postponing an African safari to personally hunt the beast. In 2008, author Patrick Boynton published a book about the history of the Snallygaster entitled Snallygaster, the Lost Legend of Frederick County. The Snallygaster has one widely known enemy called Dewayo. The Wyo is reported to be a mammalian biped with features similar to a wolf, but a stance and stature of a human. So it's a werewolf. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the signs of Dewayo are primarily reported in West Milton, Maryland, but signs have also been reported in the Westville, Maryland region. The Dewayo and the Snallygaster have probably had vicious encounters dating back to early settlement of the Milltown Valley. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen those like barns painted with like uh, pattern like almost like what's it called <laughs> those blankets um, like the quilts and stuff yeah like a quilt yeah. pattern on mm-hmm. the barns those are really yeah. cool yeah yeah they are and they're very prevalent in the Virginia Maryland area so yeah. the area that we're talking about absolutely So it definitely sounds like a, a beast or a monster that I wouldn't want to tangle with. Me neither. I'm scary. <laughs> yeah, it does. Especially one that takes off a fights a wolf man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think those those myths and those legends, you know, they're when you look at the root of where they come from, you know, I, I do think they serve their purpose in the fact of you know, they they were based on what they knew at the time. So large birds would be um, very monstrous to them and and, and then coupling that with you know the razors like teeth and the scales and such I think they definitely use that to um, to really intimidate maybe children or those that didn't have an education to really kind of control the masses if you will saying you know hey if you don't pay attention to what you're what we're doing the, the snallygaster may come and grab you yeah that's what, that's what I find out reading all about these monsters is they're mostly used for like keeping children away from dangerous areas and mm-hmm. and keeping people from like staying out too far to the woods mm-hmm. yeah yeah and a lot of those that that come from you know the in- the indian uh, mythology or mm-hmm. the indian you know the native american religions you know obviously they're going to base those those legends on things they know so big bears or the buffalo or whatever yeah. um you know really making those those m- monstrous to uh to really control like you said the younger generation um to where to to make them aware of the dangers of what could be out there so it's, it's definitely prevalent throughout all cultures well maryland has a Loch Ness monster, like monster, called mm-hmm. Tessie. Mm-hmm. Uh, winter means only the very brave or very crazy are dipping the waters of Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, it's freezing. I'm not doing that. <laughs> not this time of year. Exactly. That might be a good thing. If it the calm waters of our beloved bay, a monster looks or so Maryland lore would have us believe. On a clear night in May 1982, Robert Frew and his wife, Karen, entertained friends at their home along the bay. Around 7.30 p.m., when the calm water reflected the low sun's rays, Robert looked out to admire the scene. 
Looking at the thing floating out over there, he remembers saying, Was it a log? The seven foot long object was floating against the tide. That's, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Must have been prowling itself. It disappeared. Everyone kept their eyes on the water. It reappeared almost 40 feet long by Robert's guessing. They watched in awe. Then it dawned on them they needed to catch whatever that was, was on camera. Only a be hard set up in 19, was it 1909? No, not 1902. Still, <laughs> camera's big ass camera back then. <laughs> they watched it all, then dawn on them. They needed to catch whatever this was on camera. Five minutes later, Robert had captured Chessie, Chesapeake Bay monster on video. The granny footage aired on WJZ TV, but this wasn't the first sign of Jesse and isn't the last. The first sign of a sea monster in the bay might have been in 1846, when the captain at Lawson saw something unusual in the water between the dip of the Delmarva Peninsula and what is today Virginia Beach at the mouth of the bay, according to Matt Lake in the book Weird Maryland. In 1936, pods of a military helicopter over Bush River in Harford County spotted something strange in the waters below. In 1963, Dr. Linnell A. Walford, a sober researcher, What's that mean? Oh, I guess means <laughs> I get. Oh yeah, I think they're probably <laughs> drinking. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> According to the Baltimore Sun, saw something forty feet long, five inches wide, and seven or eight inches deep in the bay. In July 1977, fisherman Greg Hopka snapped a photo of an unusual creature in the water near the Potomac River. In July 1978, a retired CIA officer and his wife spotted creatures swimming in water, and others reported. Of a mysterious sea creature appeared around the Newport News and Norfolk area. In 1980, Drudy Guthrie spotted a creature while out boating. In August 1984, families spotted someone, something in the water three separate times. The last few decades have been calmer. The most recent sighting was in 2014 when Chris Gardner spotted a long, snake like creature slithering through the water with a serpentine motion. This creature was at least 20 feet long. That's huge. Yeah, it is. Uh, most signs occur between July and October. It almost always describe Chessie as looking like a snake and swimming either with a side-to-side motion like a snake or in an up-and-down motion. Well, which one is it? Jeez. <laughs> uh, those who believe in Nessie, the monster of Loch Ness, point to the sounding depths of the loch to account for how the creature can hide. While Chesapeake mm-hmm. Bay is only 175 feet deep compared to the Loch Ness, 740 feet deep, the bay is 204 times larger than the loch at 4,500 square miles. It's easy to imagine what creatures might hide in large estuary in North America. And lots of animals do turn up in the bay that don't belong. One of the most mm-hmm. commonly spotted mystery creatures are manatees, marine mammals that can grow up to 15 feet long and usually find their habitats in warmer waters. One Florida manatee who visited the bay three times between 1994 and 2011 even received the nickname Chessie. Mm-hmm. Fishermen have also spotted sharks in the bay. Same summer of 1936, when a military helicopter spotted a mysterious creature in the bay, fisherman Lingwood Thomas pulled a 7-foot, 400-pound shark off Love Point on Kent Island. In 1916, a fisherman called landed a 600-pound shark. Sharks have been spotted in the Pasco River in 1932. Another sea monster made headlines. Uh, 1,500 leatherback turtles, another animal that usually prefers salt water. 
Those who have spotted Chessie denied it is a mantee or shark. Chessie mm-hmm. is much longer. Red Kumpka denied his photo was a, of a sea turtle. He knew what ter- turtles look like in the water. And what he saw was different, he said. So what is Chessie? Well, when experts saw from the Smithsonian Institute Museum of Natural History reviewed Robert Bruce tape, they determined that the thing in the water was animated but undefinable. And John Hopkins Applied Physics Lab firm that a definitely certain time form merged from the blurry shape tape. <laughs> uh, many descriptions made Jesse's sound like a snake. Some people suggest that Jesse's relate to anacondas that escaped from ships abandoned in Baltimore. While the green anaconda can grow up to 22 feet and live primarily in water, lives in warm, freshwater rivers in South America, not cold, brackish waters. However, the large concentration of Chessie sightings happened right after the Calvert Cliff nuclear power plant went online in that... I think they're saying it's an atomic monster? In <laughs> the <laughs> uh, 1970s, so all the raptors probably have it created a mutated snake or awoken up prehistoric beasts like Godzilla. The water around the power plant is warmer than other parts of the bay. The description of a serpentine creature also matched descriptions of an oarfish. An elusive fish that can grow up to 36 feet and looks like a giant eel with dorsal fins. The fish lives in temperate waters below 600 feet, and while the depths of the bay is only 100 feet, four fish have come to higher depths when sick or injured. The late 1970s and 1980s were the zins of Chessie Science between 1982, when WJZ broadcast a brew video, and 1988, Bay reports people saw Chessie. For Chessie's Sunday Times, Dr. Eric Cheeseman of Chesky College believes that it has to do with the zeitgeist of the time. He points out to Steven Spielberg's Jaws, came out in 1975, increasing <laughs> fears of monsters in the water. Uh, 1960s and 1970s also saw an explosion of cryptozoology, the study of unconfirmed animals like Chessie. The bay was also incredibly unhealthy during the time of the sightings. Pollution and overfishing were rampant, and blue crabs were hatching well. Maybe the polluted area bay created a monster, or a monster drew attention to a polluted bay. Uh, even if signs are not common today, the creature is live in Maryland culture. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service featured Jesse in the front of a coloring book promoting bay conservation. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I Jesse floating in Baltimore's inner harbor in the form of a pile boats. And yeah, they're like marketing, no bad. <laughs> well, might as well. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well. Probably, yeah, yeah, it's different. Probably part, part misidentification of the species, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, for things like this, I mean, going back to the monsters and legends, you know, um, I, I tend to believe things in the ocean exist probably more than things like Bigfoot or, you know, yeah. the, uh, the Snallygaster or something like that, because there is a chance. I mean, we're discovering new species every day in the ocean. So um, you know, who's to say that there isn't something, a 20 foot long serpent like thing out there. Um, so for me, those are a little bit easier to swallow, um, yeah. even, even though, you know, the, anything is possible, whether in the sea or on the land. Yeah. Especially like, was it, we don't know more about the moon than we knew about the ocean. Isn't yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So like I said, they're, every time they, they send a sub down or something or a, 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 a underwater drone, they're finding another species that we didn't know existed. That's awesome. I love. Are you, you're also into um, entomology. Is that right? 
for for the most part, yes. Um, you know that in the historical study of locations, um, we we really delve into the, that as well. Um, you know, as I as I told you in my email, things like the cryptids. Yeah, we have a, a interest in them, but it's not something that I research um, well beyond you know like the Wikipedia pages or something like that. Um, if we go to a location that does have some type of of monster legends, yes, we'll look into that, but really not in depth. More of the the paranormal legends, if you will. Have you uh, ever countered um, shadow people? We have, yes, um, in several instances. And we actually got a couple of them on camera, which is kind of fascinating. Um, you know, we saw some when we went to Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia. We did uh, capture a, a shadow person on a video camera. We cannot explain it. Um, and, you know, it's actually used as, as evidence by the fort because it was such a great piece of evidence. So we've seen those um, in several of our investigations. So shadow figures, um, we haven't seen what I would consider a full-bodied apparition, but uh, yeah, definitely shadows and things like that that we can't explain. That's really bizarre to me. Think of like, how like, if there's like no light source, mm -hmm. I was like, I would, I would freak me out real bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, for us, it's um, people ask if we get scared. And honestly, we don't. Um, we get startled for sure. Mm -hmm. But we don't get scared that often because we're so fascinated by what would cause that. Yeah. So, you know, every time we do capture something on audio or video, we always try to find um, we try to debunk it if we can, obviously. Yeah. But there's been a lot of cases where we just can't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, what's that? Arthur? Sir Arthur Coyle quote from Shakespeare, not Shakespeare, but Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I forget, I forget the top of my head. Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. I can't remember off the top of my head, but. Yeah. Yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle, the author yeah. of uh, Sherlock Holmes, yeah. Yeah, and he was um, really big on spiritualism too, if I, if I heard and read mm -hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Got another Bigfoot guy, Sykesville Monster. Mm -hmm. uh, since the early 1970s, the woods around Sykesville, uh, Maryland, are rumored to be the home of a mysterious wild man monster. A flurry of close characters gripped town with fear. In 1981, while joining his favorite fishing spot, Mr. Lon Strickler waded into the south branch of the Pathfico River here Sykesville's and began to try his luck. As he fished, he took notice of a large mixed-breed stray dog walking along the opposing river bank about 50 feet away. As he watched, the dog began bark and growl at a large clump of brush near the river. As Strickler observed the dog, he was amazed to see a 7-8 to eight foot tall hair-covered human shape emerging from the brush. The dog, now highly agitated, attacked the huge creature. Mr. Strickler said the beast made an odd ticking sound as it struggled with the dog. That is weird. <laughs> uh, within seconds, the creature slammed the canine to the ground. The dog ran off, and as the creature turned to walk back into the woods, Sucker said he caught the strange animal's scent and described it as heavy musk. Uh, at this point, Mr. Trigger's story became stranger still as the following excerpts reveals. I drove to a phone in Sykesville and called the police. I was told to return to the scene. And wait, it took me about three minutes to get back, and a state police cruiser was already there. I was immediately told to leave the area. I returned an hour later and noticed several state vehicles and one federal vehicle as well as police. The area was taped off. I could see people coming come in the area. I was told once again to leave. 
Yeah, because you don't want to mess with Yeah, they don't want you to see anything. Yeah. Yeah, or um, contaminate the scene. Exactly. Or find out secrets that somebody doesn't yeah. want you to find out. I was told I was getting to leave. Uh, I tried for several days to get answers from state officials, and but never got an answer. I called Baltimore TV stations, WJZ, WBAL, and WMAR about the incidents, and each seemed very inter- interested. I contacted each station several days later and was told that they had no idea of an incident, did not want to talk to me. That is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The specific area where Stricker had experienced a section of the Pesco State Park is still very heavily wooded and unpopulated. That is really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely don't want him near there. I wonder what's going on there. <laughs> we all know real life can suck sometimes, and your boss accidentally seeing you in your underpants on Zoom last week doesn't help any. That's why Reluctantly Codependent Sisters, the Shira and Rashalia, keep you enthralled and in stitches every week with their podcast, Legendary Africa. Every Monday and Friday, we take you on a journey of mythical lands, magical objects, and monstrous creatures, both ancient and modern. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you feed your ears. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Did you ever uh, have trouble uh, during vacations for like people coming by and like popping in or anything like that? <laughs> um, we haven't really had that. Um, we were in a uh, we were investigating a jail in uh, Central Florida, and um, it it, ha- it does have some residential houses that are in pretty cro- close proximity. Um, so we did have a little bit of noise pollution at that yeah. location, but you know, once the evening kind of progressed on, we didn't have much of that after that. So it really didn't interfere too much, but no, for the most part, we did, we've never really had anybody pop in or, or anything like that. Nothing that we couldn't handle. Awesome. It's mm-hmm. good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The worst, like, you're like four hours in and like, someone's like, Hey, what's up? What's up? <laughs> yeah and, and well, yeah, exactly yeah. yeah so um for the most and for the most part you know we we feel pretty safe even though we're a group of females we yeah. do feel pretty safe about where we go because i mean we are pretty aware situationally aware of our surroundings for sure that's awesome that's good mm-hmm. and plus we we carry guns so yeah that's a good thing yeah <laughs> um talk about the about the dwyo talk about earlier okay uh, in the woods of Maryland, it's said to hide a wolf-like creature known as Dwayo, or Dwayo. Described as having features similar to a wolf with dark fur over the tire body, a long bushy tail, and a dog-like nose. But it stands like a human and utilizes its four legs like arms. It's said to be some six feet tall. According to the legend, Dwayo is the mortal enemy of the Snellygaster. Another area cryptid that describes a flying, blood-sucking reptile that has been sightings in the Maryland Blue Ridge Mountains. Their vicious encounters probably date back to the early settlement of the Motown Valley. The first mention of the name Dwyer uh, comes from a sighting in 1944 in West Middleton, Frederick County, Maryland. Witnesses heard the creatures made frightful screams and there were footprints attesting to the claims of the sighting. However, the tale did not come to prominence until a newspaper account in the Frederick News Post on November 27, 1965, was published and detailed an account of the creature. 
Near the woods of the Gamborough State Park, John Becker went out in his yard to investigate a strange noise. It was getting dark and he had started to come back to the house uh, when he saw something moving towards him. It was a, as big as a bear, had long black hair, a bushy tail, and growled like a wolf or a dog in anger. As it got closer, it stood up on its hind legs and attacked him. Becker fought the creature until it ran into the woods, leaving him, his wife, and the children in horror. Assigned to remain anonymous, honor Elias John Becker, he followed a report with the local state police telling him of an attack by a mysterious monster that he called a Dwyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, soon, more stories followed in an area newspaper spawning a rash of calls and letters in, to newspapers. Other signs of report reported in nearby areas, however, by mid-December, the story started to fade. In the, mid, in the summer of 1966, the creature was again sighted on the outskirts of Campbell State Park, or when a man only referred to him only as Jim A. encountered Dwyer as he was heading toward the campsite. He described it as a shaggy, two-legged animal the size of a deer and had a triangle-shaped head with pointed ears and chin. It was dark brown in color, and when approached, it made a horrid scream. (laughs) (laughs) And backed away from the man. Jim went out to say the creature had an odd walk as it treated. Its legs stuck out from the side of its trunk of the body, making its movements appear almost spider-like as it backed away. In the fall of 1976, another sighting of Dwyer took place in Frederick County near Termont with uh, two men were driving on Route 77 onto a private road. There they saw a large creature run across the road in front of the car. They described it as at least six feet tall, but climbed forward since it was moving quickly. Its head was fairly large and similar to the profile of a wolf. The body was covered in brown or brindle colored fur, but the lower half had a striped pattern of noticeable uh, darker and lighter banding. The forelegs <laughs> were slimmer and held out as it moved. The black legs were muscles and thick, similar to perhaps a kangaroo. This was not a hominid-type creature. It didn't have the characteristics of an ape. It was much more similar to a wolf or a ferocious dog, however. It was definitely moving upright and appeared to be adapted for that of a mobility. I was particularly impressed by the size and strength of the back legs, the stripes on the lower half of the body, and the canine wolf-like head. Later in 1978, two park rangers were near the Cunningham Falls, area when encountered a large hairy beast creature running on two legs. More than two centuries ago, another such creature is told of in folklore, that of the Hexen Wolf. In the late 18th century, the Pennsylvania Dutch had started to settle in Carroll, Bedrick, and Washington counties of Maryland. Almost immediately, stories began to circulate about a wolf-like creature. Its descriptions were similar to that of the Wyo, a mammalian biped with features similar to a wolf, but a stance and stature of a human. Legend of the Texan Wolf had long been known to inhabit tracts of land across much of eastern Pennsylvania and told in German folklore. A yep. lot of these seem to have Germanic roots for sure. Yep. Very, you know, very prevalent in, in these legends. Yep. There's definitely a lot of wolf stories. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, you know, if, if you're going to make up a legend or a monster, you're definitely going to go with what you know. So... Obviously, uh, a wolf is pretty ferocious in that day and age, so why not make up something surrounding that? Yep. Definitely mm-hmm. since the, back in Middle Ages, they were probably attacking people all the time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yep. their li- and their livestock. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Also got some goat man here. Okay. 
Um, a large creature, half man, half goat, sounds like something straight from the cover of H.P. Lovecraft's piece. But for residents of Prince George County in Maryland, this is what is stalking them at night. Said to stand eight feet tall and wearing an axe, this creature was dubbed the Goat Man. As with every other urban legend, there are several theories that have been expressed as to who or what it could be. One theory suggests that the Goat Man is a goat farmer. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a, maybe a son of a goat farmer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I went crazy after a group of teenagers massacred his flocks. Now he's out for revenge. Another suggests that there was an old hermit that lived in the woods off of Fletcher Town Road land. He carried a pickaxe and chased and harassed anyone that came near his land. Most popular theory floating around seems to be that of a scientist. He was performing a series of experiments on ghosts at the Bell's Books Agricultural Center. Went mad and fled into the woods. All pretty creative and well thought out, but how could this be a living person when the sightings started in the 1950s and are still being reported? The first documented account of the goat man was in 1957, when a couple returning home spotted a large half man, half animal standing in their driveway. The first violent encounter came in the 1960s when a young couple went parking off of mm-hmm. Fletcher Town Road. <laughs> the couple was being harassed by something in the woods, and a guy got out to investigate and never returned. Oh no. Oh wow. The next day they found his several Oh god. The next day he found his severed head hanging in a tree above where the park was parked. His body was never found. In oh, 1970s, wow. another burrow attack was reported by a family whose dog went missing. While searching for the dog, the father stumbled across the head of the dog laying on the ground not far from the house. And again the body was never found. Oof. It's horrible. <laughs> right? Well, the most recent documented signs was in March of 2014. A man driving home saw what he described as a man with large horns running across the road and into the woods. Uh, Goatman signs have been reported not only in Maryland, but also in Kentucky, just outside of Louisville, and as far south as Texas. Some think, some think it is the devil himself. The Legend of the Goatman has spawned two films in 2011, Dilly Detour, The Goatman Murders, and 2013, Legend of the Goatman. Uh, if you're in the area, feeling brave, head down to the hub of Goatman activity, Butchertown Road and Lawford Road. Nope, I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Oof. Probably it's probably a or something. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah. Have you ever gone and research? Uh, like, have you gone to any of these locations and tried to... to... You haven't? I, want... I want to so bad, but work is so busy. Uh-huh. I'm sure. One day you'll get there. Especially around here is like the here in Tennessee is like the there's the Bell House. I want to go see that real bad. Maybe in Kentucky. I forget where it's at exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it's in northern Tennessee, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. It's cool to see the history in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a story of a, of a Native American legend here called okay. Grandfather Thunder. Sorry if I get the pronunciations wrong. Muxamusa uh, Patakwa, our grandfather, the Thunder, was father of the first people, and the moon was the first mother. But Maxo, uh, uh, I'm going say Max, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. The evil horn serpent destroyed the waterkeeper. 
spirit and lose the waters upon the earth, and the first people were no more. Since then, the Thunderers, uh, Pathoquatchik, has always been on the lookout for Max and other such evil water monsters. And when one appears, the Thunderers shoot their crooked, fiery lightning arrows at them, hoping to avenge the deaths of the first people, and to make sure that none of the evil shall ever disturb the harmony upon the earth or cause harm to our Lenapequot. Long, long ago, there was a time when Grandfather Thunder was forgotten among our people. Unlike Grandmother Moon, has always been remembered and honored by us, it became bitter and despondent over our neglect and forgetfulness of, of him. And in his anger, he came from his home in the west, coming out in a voice that shook the heavens and the earth. Hidden in clouds, he crossed right over the homes and villages of our people. In his fur, he shot lightning arrows at the earth, killing people, burning houses, and shattering trees. And the clouds cried their tears of sorrow upon the earth. Luckily, he never stayed in one place too long, and usually was seen traveling towards the east. Is that the jet stream? <laughs> uh, first, he would come along, but after a while, his many children came with him, and he frequently bought fear in the hearts of our you know, people. Some would come from a cave under the falls one day at Niagara, and others came from the mountains where they often made their homes. At the sight of dark clouds and lightning, and at the sound of the thunder being the roar of the wings of the thunderers and the shakings of their rattles filled with bones, which shook the city, uh, shook the sky, our people became the most fearful. Nanapush finally saw that we, his grandchildren, were in distress, so he came to help us, saying, You have hurt and insulted your grandfather thunder through a lack of respect and thought for him. Grandfathers need to be remembered and honored, too, for they also, like grandmothers, have shared in the gift of life and helping their grandchildren into the future. When you first hear Grandfather Thunder in the spring, telling you that the winter has ended, and that life is again coming to the earth, burn tobacco and greet your grandfather's repairs. Wherever you hear his voice, do this, and you will gain his protection and lightning will not strike you. Grandfather Thunder has changed, has charge of the rains, the water, the earth, and make your crops grow. With the proper respect, he will be thankful, bringing blessings to you and protect you home. From the horned snakes and water monsters, and you will come to bring your mornings. From that time, this, from this time to this, our grandfather and our land people have always been close. We listen to our wise grandfather Nanapush, and always show respect to Old Thunder and love him dearly. And we will always give him first many gifts to his land and all life upon Mother Earth. Um, mm-hmm. I chose that story because it, it talked a little. Like, I mentioned. These thunder monsters, mm-hmm. and I believe these thunder say thunders. I think they're talking about um, thunderbirds. Is that they're referring to? Okay. They have yeah. uh, I saw thunder thunderbirds in um, Native American folklore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. It's a very cool story. Again, like we spoke about before, you know, it's it's kind of one of those that you need to have respect for your elders. You need to have respect for the land. And if you don't, there's going to be repercussions. Yep. So, yeah, it's a, that's a very good story to read to illustrate that. I remember a story I uh, read in, um, in middle school mm-hmm. about how uh, it was a Chinese story about this woman was like old and they didn't really expect her and some something happened, some conflict and she knew how to she had a solution to it 
how you know. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. I love, yeah. I love, I love literature. Yeah. Got one. I think it's the last one. Okay. Got two more. For sure. Um, the Yakwa. I can't even say. Uh, y a k w a w y i k. Yakwai. I can't even say that. Um, yak. I guess Yakwa. Yakwa yak. Uh, or describe as yak. Yeah. Described as a monstrous man-eating creatures resembling enormous stiff-legged Harris bears. That's that's kind of gross looking. <laughs> uh, although Yawakiak is the most common name for these monsters in the Lee Shawnee and other Northeast Alquin tribes, if it, it is not an Alquin word, it is not probably provided by the Iroquois name. Niyokwa, which means great bear. Yakosua and Tagula. Maybe be corrupting of Iroquois names. The original Alquine name for the monster were probably one of the parents of Anacrochia, which meant big, big rumped. Uh, Maxima could come from the words for bear. Some mm-hmm. folk believe that Yakoa may have been inspired by the mammoths or Mastodon fossils. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can visit our Sif Legate Bear site to read our opinions about that. Dekawa is described as a mammoth or elephant by some modern elephant storytellers. Those are always recorded in the past. Often referred to as a type of bear. Yeah, it probably is a mm-hmm. finding mm-hmm. like old like fossils and like missing that find and like trying to make stories yeah. about it. Or yeah, absolutely. Maybe, or maybe this they found like a hairless bear. It could happen. Yeah, it can happen. Something with mange or whatever. But yeah. you know, um, it's it's kind of like how they made constellations out of the stars. You know, they, 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 they made shapes and figures out of what they saw and what they knew at the time, like a, a bowman or a crab or a fish. The same thing here. If you see bones, uh, large scale bones, like a mammoth or a mastodon, let's try to make something out of it. Oh, a big bear, because that's all we know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Mew is a man-eating ice giant of Lampo's legend, like the Wendigo of the Ojibwe. And Creed tribes. Not many tales of Mew were ever recorded, but like the better known Wendigo, Mew were a fearsome monster associated with starvation, cannibalism, and sin. A person who tasted human flesh or went mad from the cold night might turn into a Mew, and at least one Leopold legend, a Mew monster that is treated kindly, even civilized food to eat, can be turned back into human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a yeah, it's another one of those uh, warning myths. Like don't mm-hmm. eat your friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and I think you know all of the stories that you read. It's it is that uh, that that fear. You know, putting that yep. in there because based on what we know, I mean, we we're, we're sailors during that time, so let's create sea monsters, or you know, we know about bears, so let's create giant bears to to mm-hmm. keep our children in line, or. Um, you know, to, to put fear in the tribe or those that aren't educated. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes on to myths and legends. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been doing this for a minute. Hot yeah, minute. Almost, yeah, almost an hour. So you're doing good at this, Tanner. Thank you. You've been awesome, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, 
are you having interest in places you look into in, in Maryland for your Soul Sisters Paranormal? Yeah, we have places throughout the country that we've been looking at. Um, our next investigations are actually going to be in Mississippi. Um, but yeah, the Maryland area, uh, there's a lot of Civil War battlefields up there that we'd like to go to. Um, there's some different houses up there um, that we'd like to get to. And uh, yeah, that, that area is, is very rich in history and, and paranormal activity for sure. Oh, yes. It's, I think your next one is going to be um, the Atala Jail in mm-hmm. the Yep. Yeah, uh, the Attila Jail in uh, in in uh, Kosciuszko, Mississippi, yeah. and uh, we're also that same weekend. Next weekend, we're also doing uh, the Old Southern Funeral Home in uh, Kosciuszko, Mississippi, as well. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Oh, it's definitely looking forward to watching that. Oh, well, thank you, thank you, and I appreciate you watching uh, all the videos that you did, and for doing your research on us. I really appreciate that. Most most podcasters don't go in depth into the into our background, so thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people find out more about Soul Sisters Paranormal? Okay, we have a website, which is www.soulsistersparanormal.com. And you uh, can also visit our YouTube channel, which is Soul Sisters Paranormal. That's our channel. And then I'm very active on Facebook, again, under Soul Sisters Paranormal. Yep. For, for I found you on Facebook. <laughs> yep. Uh, do you have any upcoming events you'd like people to know about? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I will actually be representing Soul Sisters at Arkansas State University at their Delta Symposium on um, April 9th through the 11th. And then um, I will also be in Las Cruces, Mexico for a Paracon. Um, that's the last uh, the first weekend in October. I'll be down there with a couple of great speakers. So we'll uh, nice. look, yeah have a lot of fun doing that. So and we're adding some. So we'll be putting that to our website um, as we add them. We'll keep putting them to our website and making announcements on Facebook. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, hope everybody turns out, man. Oh, thank you, Tanner. I appreciate that. Very welcome. Well, so say thank you for joining me here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope you have a great rest of the day, Tanner. You too, man. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Um, thank you for listening to this, today's episode of Monster Lunch Podcast, Monster Legends of Maryland. And thank you so much for my guest, Dr. Chrissy Sumner from Soul Sisters Paranormal. You can find them on Facebook and at soulsistersparanormal.com. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Monster Legends Podcast or on Twitter at Monster Legends P or my personal Twitter is at G1Tanner. You also find me on Instagram at G1Tanner. I hope you have a great week. And again, thank you so much for my guest today, Dr. Chrissy Summer from Solstice Paranormal. You also email, oh, by, by the way, you can email me at monsterlegendspodcast at gmail.com for any questions or um, you want to be a guest or anything like that, or if you want, be, want me to be a guest on your podcast. Thank you so much for listening again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. Or to find more information about Monster Legend Podcast, go to monsterlegendpodcast.com or anchor.fm forward slash monsterlegendpodcast. There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on, which you can describe, subscribe to. 
he also can email me all of the questions that will be answered on the show. Thank you. Thank you.